Welcome to the Razor Show with the Athletics Nick Underhill and Jeff Powell, plus three-time Super Bowl champion Matt Chatham. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Razor Show. This is Matt Chatham doing a little late night, a little uh, Razor after dark. I stayed up here this evening, came home, you know, you know me from a year ago I, on The Athletic. We talk about this all the time. I just love those one o'clock games. You get to come home. I mean, I certainly got to do my my TV after the game, but then you get to come back to the house. My my daughter had two soccer games. I wasn't able to catch that, but she you know, comes running through the door and she wants to tell me all about the games. And my son had a hockey practice this morning. She kind of get to catch up on the whole day with the family late in the evening. Uh, we go out and throw on the smoker, uh, a few pizzas that we made and smoked some pepperoni and had some super sharp provolone. I wanted to get out there. Uh, and, uh, you know, also some chorizo that we had smoked earlier in the week and some green chilies, uh, a lot of little good stuff we were putting together. And we just, you know, pizzas on the smoker end of evening, few drinks and watch the late night game and then uh, rewatch the Patriots Jets game. And now that everything's sort of uh, digested, I can hop on here and, and talk at you folks. So obviously Jeff and Nick are uh, deep into their writing. Uh, if you're hearing this late, late, late on uh, Sunday evening, maybe they've, they've filed their stuff. I'm not sure if it's up there yet, but if not, you know, they were slaving hard after the, uh, after the game to get this stuff out to you guys, grinding their butts off. Uh, so it should be up there in the morning if it's not already. So make sure you check that stuff out. But because I don't have a writing assignment right after the game, you usually see my stuff more mid to late week. Uh, I thought I could hop on, hop on here for you and uh, do it this way. So this is kind of a little, little quirk in how we've done it before. Um, our schedules don't mesh great. This is a really easy way to make sure you guys get the content quick. I can run back and rewatch the game. They can't necessarily. They gotta, they gotta write. They gotta be reporters, and they gotta do that job first. So this just kind of works for all of us better. So um, thought it was the best way to get that out to you quickly. So went back, checked it all out. And one thing I'll say is a little bit of caveat here before we do this. Understand that I'm rewatching the game broadcast, so I'm rewatching what you folks are watching at home. Um, I was at the game, saw it live, but you know, I'm not. There's no some. There's not some special tape that I'm watching. The all 22 stuff, the the coaches copy that I love to see. That's usually not posted till midday on Tuesdays. So, by virtue of doing this, you know, if there were some question as we go out throughout the season on some coverage call, or you know, say the Patriots bust one, there's some breakdown that we really got to dive into and try to find, not necessarily fault, but just where it went wrong. Uh, Really tough to do that on TV copy. Really tough to do that on the broadcast copy because you can't see the back end. So, and you're getting mostly a sideline view. So, you know, exactly on run fits, on good plays, you can't tell necessarily exactly how it went down or bad plays, things like that. So, there's some certain, there certainly are limitations. I'd much rather be watching the regular thing and get it to you. But to do that, you know, we're talking about a midweek show. So, not ideal. So, this is easy to just kind of fly through it. Yeah, it kind of pulls back in the recollections of things that you don't notice when you're going through the thing in live time with all the drama of an actual game. So love getting back into this and uh, getting around to you quick. So we're hoping that uh, if you're, you're, you're downloading our show and listening to it either late this evening or in the early morning, you're commuting in, you're at the gym, wherever you download and listen to your podcast too, uh, that this will get to you quickly throughout the rest of the season. That's the plan. It's much easier to pull this off on one, on one o'clock games. We start getting late, late night ones, and maybe this will be more challenging, but let's, let's roll with it for now. Um, I wanted to first hit on sort of the big stories of the day and you know in doing this, i got to touch on the A-B thing, but this is going to be the fastest A-B Antonio Brown thing ever. I don't want to get into it. Um, 
it's be gone. It's over. It's done. It was a, you know, a forgettable chapter, a forgettable 10 or 11 days. There's, there's, you can check my Twitter feed, how I really, really feel about this stuff. But because this is a game review, I don't want to spend a lot of time on that. Uh, I'd rather just stick with, Hey, there was a late game change at a very important position. One of the receivers who was heavily in the mix, they had to regain plan. They had to change things up clearly. Uh, maybe they had hedged a little bit because I believe some of that real, real bad news had come Friday morning. So that by the time they'd gone out to the practice field, they hadn't made the public announcement, but my guess is, you know, after letting this sort of marinate a little bit, that that Friday practice, even though he was standing out there and seeing where this went and seeing how upset, rightfully so, Mr. Kraft and Bill were, um, I'm guessing that maybe the Friday practice had some uh, alterations to it to get prepared for now. If not, all this that you saw on Sunday in Foxborough would have been taken care of potentially at the hotel uh, over there in uh, wherever they are still these days. But the, the team hotel the night before, I don't want to give it away. I'm not sure if that's supposed to be public. But anyway, at the team hotel. <laughs> so at the team hotel where they're, uh, where they're preparing, um, you know, walkthroughs in the ballroom. This kind of happens a lot. But you got to go back over stuff. You go into team meeting room, uh, you know, conference room kind of thing at the hotel. You break off into small groups. You kind of talk through stuff. And, and this kind of late week bomb kind of deal, you know, there's going to have to be some some changes. But it appeared that, uh, the one way to check and see if they sort of were able to check those boxes off and not come out with a couple of rough series is just do they flow early? And they did. I mean, it was bang, 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 right through those first, you know, first half and into the third quarter. So they, uh, whatever change it was they were going to make, and I can get to that particulars a little bit more here as we get in. I, I noticed a couple times where it was formations comparable to what we saw a week ago in Miami with Brown in those spots, different guy in them, but still similar plays being run. So I think we can talk through that change and not just have to talk around it. Um, but a couple things I did want to touch on on game stuff. Obviously, there's a lot of there were a lot of unavailables, but then some surprises in the pregame actives. I always like to touch on those before we get into it because it kind of sets the stage for you know the kind of game they're going to try to play uh, by sort of the, the game day decisions they're going to make. So didn't have Bolden a week ago. Brandon Bolden's back and active this week. Why is that important? We all know that James White wasn't there yeah, for the birth of his child. Huge event. Wasn't able to be there. Fortunately, they're very, very deep at that position. What that means is Damian Harris, uh, the uh, draft pick from Alabama, uh, is dressing for the first time in his young career. I'm sure that was pretty exciting for him. Cool night. Not heavily involved. He was probably out there on special teams. I didn't notice that portion of it, but we do know that at least he's here in the game book uh, and was out there dressed and running around. So I don't think he got carries. I don't, best of my knowledge, I don't know. I don't think he got a, a maybe even offensive snaps. Maybe I'm screwing that up. But anyhow, he's out there. For, it's a good way to kind of break ground. Um, Juwan Williams, that's another one. Juwan was uh, listed as active, first time in his career, the second round pick. Uh, I presume special teams only for him as well. I was kind of glancing down the, the the game book looking to find his name. I didn't see it in, in live action. I didn't notice. Uh, Jakob Johnson, Jakob, the uh, the fullback, was out there as well for the Patriots for the first time. And we know that's obviously uh, connected to the idea that James Devlin was down. And that was a big loss. And I think that's something that did have a game effect because you didn't see as much of the, you know, the fullback runs, the two back in the backfield, you know, fullback lead stuff, just the – you know, the 2000s and 90s and 2000s kind of football stuff. You got a big old fullback, you misdirection stuff, two-back runs, the stuff that Sony's so good at. Um, just it wasn't in the game plan. They didn't use Jakob that way. So he was up and active, but I believe Johnson must have been doing special teams only because I didn't catch him in any snaps. And the guys that actually count snaps, maybe they'll correct me on that tomorrow when, when I look a little deeper. But at least he was up, and that's good for him. Obviously, Jared Stidham got his first reps. 
uh, you know, completed a pass early to, to, to Philip Dorsett right off the bat. That was good for him. Uh, get sacked, took a bad sack. It wasn't great protection for him, but maybe a ball you'd like to chuck and get away. But either way, he took the sack, and then the next snap he's throwing the pick. So you can tell he was affected by the pressure. He feels something a little different than what preseason games are. And, and then you airmail the ball on third down um, as the pressure kind of starts to come and throw it awfully high. And Adams picks it up and takes it back. So anyway, you know, young guy, he's going to take his lumps. Um, and only connection I'll make there just to caution about any hot take, high-low or otherwise on Jared. Uh, Tom Brady's first snaps, if I re- as I recall, were in 2000. Um, you know, the year I was – it was our first year here, all in that same 2000. Their draft class, I was in St. Louis. I was cut from there and then was here for opening day and played with that team. But t- Tom's first snaps uh, were in – Detroit in the old Silverdome. I uh, believe that the first series he took was that game. We got blown out on uh, Thanksgiving, and you know, got—I don't even remember the numbers. I, I believe his first completion was to Rod Rutledge, but then there were a couple other balls at people's feet, and kind of just a ugly—it was ugly for all of us that day. Uh, but you know, n- nothing doing. You know, the, it wasn't like wow, that guy's going to be the greatest quarterback ever someday. I mean, just—you can't tell. He just—he didn't look quite ready that day, and you can tell he—he grew, he grew leaps and bounds within that next year. And yeah, you hope the same for Stidham. He hope he uh, follows that same curve. But that kind of gets sort of the particulars off the board with the specialists and the quarterbacks and the guys you noticed. I do want to mention that the offensive line change was big because Marcus Cannon comes back and uh, the, the guy that had been behind him uh, for the last couple of weeks, they inactivated him. So it was a little bit different. The new house stays at left, but they go ahead and go with the inactives. Um, Cunningham on the right side, Corey Cunningham, he was out. So rather than say, oh, Cannon starts, but Cunningham's going to stick on as your swing tackle, uh, my understanding is, as it looks, it's just a guess, uh, is Benenrock, Benenrock, I hope I'm saying that, Benenrock, Benenrock, that was the guy that they signed up from Tampa that started 16 games ago, 16 games a year ago at guard. Uh, so a lot of starting you know, experience, but not a tackle. He was signed uh, just a week ago. He was inactive. And then Cunningham, who had started last week, at ta- well, he didn't start a tackle. He started, he was the swing tackle, but when Newhouse moved from right over to left, he moved in and played the rest of the game at right tackle. So he didn't uh, live as the swing tackle for this game because Cannon returned. So best guess there, had anything gone on with the tackles in this game, you're talking Tooney going to one of those two spots, Joe Tooney from the guard spot. And then the extra bodies that are up, our guards. So that's the way they're rolling with it. Ferentz would be the extra center if they need to, if they lose uh, Ted Karras for any amount of time. So that was kind of the little quirk of the week. We all knew Cannon, we all, excuse me, we all knew House was, knew House was going to stay at left. We just weren't sure if Cannon was going to be ready to roll. He was, and it was good to see him back out there again. So, all right, that kind of gets us into the table setting portion of the evening. You obviously all know the final score. I'm going to have to play like, you know, movie podcast here and try to keep it suspenseful. It's a 30 to 14 win. It was 30 nothing at one point. Very comfortable. They had a huge uh, line that at one point during the week actually had reached 23 points in some houses. Uh, but it had was, you know, started the week at 22 and change. It was 22 half. I saw that 23. Uh, went back to 21 though on the Brown news. I'm guessing largely on that or money movement around that. Uh, and then that got the bad beat that you like, that you hate to see. So <laughs> on our pregame show with Nessa there, uh, I went hard on, uh, that they were going to cover this thing and they cruised up to the 30 and you felt like this is easy and done and in the bag. Uh, you just don't expect that they're going to make the quarterback move. He's going to throw a pick six and you certainly don't expect a muff punt. <laughs> so that ends up being score. So the defense stays pristine and we love, we love that piece of news, but this little part of it was, uh, bad beat city, which you often don't see 
with the Patriots because they're usually so good against the spread. Now, um, anyway, those are spread to- you know, gambling topics, uh, active and inactive topics, the A-B stuff off the table. Now let's get into the game itself and kind of get into the highlights and lowlights and kind of talk through what went down, what you like, what you don't, and uh, what's going to be relevant here as you go forward in this big Buffalo contest. A couple undefeated teams. That'll be fun. So as Pats Jets and defense stops or defense starts the game, Patriots won the toss. They defer. Patriots, uh, the defense starts out there. They get the stop real quickly. Uh, third down, I thought it was kind of funny that uh, it's a multi-receiver spread type look from the Jets. And uh, I believe it was five receivers. Maybe I'm wrong and it was four and a back. But point is there was at least four receivers on the field. Maybe a fifth, and 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 uh, Braxton Berrios, you know, good for him. You know, he's released by the Patriots. He's picked up active somewhere else. You love to see that. Uh, there's just not enough spots here. He was a really good kid. He, he had a great attitude. We got to interview him, uh, be around him a little bit through preseason because you know the, the, when I work for Craft Sports Productions with the in-house stuff when we do Patriots Week, me and Zoe and Bob Soshi, but the the three of us, you know, and uh, and and uh, excuse me, Danny Roach, when we're doing the preseason games, we we get to we get to talk to these guys, and I was really impressed with him. He's like a Barrios is a really nice kid, very mature. Uh, seemed uh, pretty grounded and level-headed about his chances of making it and just wanted to get better every day and all, all the speech stuff that you normally hear. But um, he was an easy guy to cheer for. But I think he was also a guy that, as camp drew close to an, an end, you could see that Jacoby Myers had put so much space between the two of them that if there was going to be a number squeeze, Barris wasn't going to make it. But that doesn't mean he's not an NFL pro, and I think he's proven that. Goes down there, they need him, and he's done a nice job. Made a couple nice plays on the day. But this was the, the very first third down session here. Third down seri- at the end of series, first series or whatever. And Luke Falk, you know, you got the young quarterback back there. You got a bunch of missing wide receivers, and Noon was inactive. Uh, Demarius Thomas, you know, went a trade over there to them, is, is inactive with the hamstring. They're still missing Chris Herndon from the tight end spot. Uh, so they're pretty depleted. So it's kind of down to Robbie Anderson and uh, Berrios and then Crowder in the slot. So, you know, it's going to be rough. And, uh, you know, just a lot of inexperience out there, especially at the quarterback spot and an offensive line that hasn't been playing well. And drops back to passing that third down. And in an isolation situation, it's old. It's Berrios one-on-one with Jason McCourty. I thought that was hilarious. McCourty jogged along with it, had no problem with that particular cover. And because it spreads stuff, the ball's got to come out quickly. So McCourty was all over that. No, no real threat there, and uh, you know, just kind of felt like a camp play. <laughs> You're like, oh, there's Jason McCourty covering Braxton Barrios. So you know, camp practice play all over again. So that was kind of cool. Uh, but Pat Patriots handled that very well, and again, that just speaks to the depth. When they start going wide, you still got J.C. Jackson on the field. You got Jonathan Jones. You got Gilmore. You got McCourty, and we're not even talking about Jawan Williams, who was was active and didn't even get out there much. You know, and, and Devin McCourty can drop down and cover inside as well. You know, in, in or out, he can come down and be a corner. Patrick can cover any of the inside stuff real easily. Tight ends, backs, even you know, slot receivers occasionally. So, just so many options on who can match up with who. When you make the choice, as they did to go four or five wide, whatever the hell it was, you get into their four and five wide depth, which is usually better than your receiver depth. So, I think that was very, very evident throughout this day. Now. Defense is off the field. Patso's out there early. We're talking about wrinkles here and what's different and what's new because of the late the late week change with the Antonio Brown news. Um, and Brandon Bolden was that wrinkle. It's not just the Brown news. You have to mention the other half of it, the, the real vested person here in this offense, and that's James White. I mean, Brown was a, a one-week story, a couple-week story, but... James White's been a long time stalwart here. Big part of what they do. A lot of targets, a lot of catches. Going to be involved in 
partially in the run game, not as much there, but then definitely targets in the pass. And he was gone. He was gone. So um, the fact that Rex Burkhead has looked so good and been so spry is such a big deal because in the absence of James and the receiver that you might have spent a little more time on in, in game planning, that's two down. That gets to be an issue, especially when we get a little further in this and start talking in-game injuries with both Julian and uh, Josh Gordon. So um, it was a big deal that I think the back depth is built as it is. Damian Harris active, not needed. Uh, Rex playing best football we've seen him play as a Patriot and doing a really, really nice job. Very versatile run game and, and pass and blitz pickup, all that stuff. And, uh, you know, Sony had a rough go of it. And I, quite frankly, I'll get into that a little bit here later. But I went back. I felt like a lot like people did. I was like, man, they just really struggled to get him going today. And he did have a couple of runs that were okay, uh, but then went down early. You know, it was no, no run after contact kind of thing. So you're like, yeah, that could have been a better run. Uh, I would say he'll probably not love his day. It would be a very C day for him, average day for him. But I think in review, you go back and look at all those carries, and all my notes are like, well, what was he going to get out of that? <laughs> like there's two guys in the backfield. He's making his first cut one straight out of the, right out of the handoff. I mean, it's ridiculous. So if I know radio or whatever, whoever's into the hot taking stuff, Twitter people, whatever, we'll, we'll run with that and, you know, make this, the Sony Michelle jokes, but that's nonsense. This was a game where dude had very little opportunity to do much better than he did. And it's striking. And you know, you just, it's just the way the ball bounces sometimes, but Rex Burkhead did have more of the positive runs on the day. And you look at Rex's runs, there are better opportunities too, you know? So that's just kind of how it happens. That's why when you start trying to compare people's yards per carry and the stats that they accumulate, you got to talk about what happened on the place. The rest of it is just hot taking nonsense. So I think, you know, it's not in my opinion. It's, 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 uh, it's going to be the, the round opinion of the scouts, the people that do this professionally, the coaches that work with these guys every day. Sony's still a great player. Just, you know, I'm sure there's going to be nonsense throughout this upcoming week, but ignore it. It's worthless. So uh, the, the wrinkle here though is Bolden. So Bolden is another guy who a lot of people groaned and, oh, they signed him back. I shouldn't say a lot of people, just out of the Twitter, Twitter weirdos that hang out in some of those corners of this of this market and you know where those corners are but they're not this podcast so anyhow those people loved or hated loathed that brandon bolden would be signed back and that they would give him such a nice number i don't recall what it was but maybe a million and a half or maybe even two i don't know it was a really big number he's a veteran uh big time uh contributor on the special teams but his value is in that he can do exactly what he did this week bomb goes off in the locker room oh no james is not available james is a big time part of this offense so what do they do the very first series they come out split backs it's rex one side bold in the other and I believe he ends up with like three four touches on the first series very effective plays boom right down the right down the field he's involved in blitz pickup he's so he's blocking well uh I don't know if it was carries if these were all targets just off the top of my head and I don't want to go exactly play by play but big point is he had some yak he, he caught the ball and made some people miss had some conversions there look good look good that's what you pay for that's what you're mad that they're getting you're mad that they spent smart money which is stupid uh, just again you know it's i know it's more of a jabbing the guy because he plays mostly special teams and a lot of folks that just have a, a an idiotic attitude about that stuff but uh by and large i'm just highlighting this portion to say hey this was a start the script kind of thing and uh they went right to that guy Tells you a lot about how they how strongly they feel about him. Tells you what kind of pro he is. Tells you how uh, he can get up to speed, not mistakes, not make mistakes with low reps, and come out and be productive in the division game. That's big time stuff. You needed it early, got it from him. So moving on here, um, 
I think uh, the Julian Edelman from the slot now uh, was a little different. You know, we remember remember him last year with with Gronk in the game and him playing Gronk playing tight end, Devlin in the backfield. You only have two receivers on the field generally. A lot of times it was Jules and, and Josh. Later in the season, it was Jules and uh, and Philip Dorsett more. Uh, but you know, this was more of a situation where there weren't as many slot reps, you know, without a raw count here, but there weren't as many slot reps for Julian. He was moving all over the formation, playing Z and playing X and not just being, you know, slot guy. Cause he really isn't, he's an all over the formation kind of dude, but this, there was, there was some slot today, a decent amount of slot, but they were not slot to cross the middle of the field and, and sort of run option routes in there or shake stuff and try to, you know, get him on a match on a linebacker or safety. He'd align in the slot and run to the outside. So he's going back out to zone coverages and going to be picked up by corners or he's got the slot corner in the slot and he's, you know, grabbing DB coverage. Um, and they were hitting him really easily on these out routes. So Jules at the top stem, quick as he's always been, getting out of that and, and getting wide open and making plays. Uh, so that was a nice little concept, getting him back into the slot and getting him just running outs. You know, these are not the crossers and kind of low stuff and zig, zigzag and things and those kind of routes like he had the, uh, the touchdown on later. This was just putting him back in a more familiar spot. Uh, uh, well, maybe not. Excuse me. That's the wrong way to state it. Not put him in the familiar spot, put him in a spot where he doesn't show up a lot necessarily. And if you were game planning of how to take him away or one of the other people, you concentrate elsewhere. So all, all of a sudden now you're running a slot guy that's running exterior outside the numbers kind of route. So uh, he gets isolated in really any situation. And if you're one-on-one, people are giving him pad and that quick out, if you can get the ball to him, it's going to be a catch. So good stuff there from him on that. Um, the block release on a pressure pickup by Izzo was a really big play early. And I thought it was really cool. And I wanted to, you know, maybe this is a podcast. We, I'd, It's probably easier if I'd show you this in video but uh, for you to get it. But I want to at least highlight the, the, the difficulty that this particular play causes a defense. And what that is is the Jets are bringing a pressure. So they're bringing, I'm not counting it, maybe it was six, five, six, who knows. But the point is extra guys, the off-the-ball guys are coming into the to the rush and at least some of them. And there is one of them that immediately gets picked up by Izzo. The back, and that same play, I believe, was actually Sona Michelle. Yeah, I, I, I think I sent a tweet out about that, about how, how good Michelle's blitz pickup was in that particular spot. Needed it because they had overloaded that side. Sony gets his, blunts his guy, keeps it off Tom's lap. That gives him enough porch there to step into it. And what he's stepping into is this little dump to Izzo. So the tough part is when a guy starts to block you, uh, you kind of assume part of the protection. It's pretty pretty normal. Obviously, your defensive end, you're coming off. If that guy's engaging you, or he's sitting back and engaging you, you're thinking, you're thinking protection. Now, sometimes if they fire out towards you and hit you on their way out, that's chipping, you know. And, and so you kind of know they actually are running around, but they're going to contact me a little bit on the way in. But Izzo did the, no, no, I'm sitting back. I'm on my heels. I'm a part of protection. One, 1,000, two, 1,000. Then he goes. In those situations, usually it's enough of a lie uh, that you, you you don't get it picked up. You know, middle linebacker, an off-the-ball linebacker glances over, sees him starting to engage the end, you turn your attention back to the quarterback or back to the backfield or whatever's going on, and you count that as in. And if they come out of the rush and then leave, oh my gosh, there's no one to pick him up. And that's what you saw with Izzo. He just, it was a really nice play design. Execution by him was good too. The timing was great because in some of those situations, you go too early, you don't get enough separation from the, the line of scrimmage and you get the quarterback killed and he can't throw it or he is throwing it at you and you're not quite turned yet because you just 
didn't get out at the right time. But he timed this just about perfectly, and there was no one. You know, Mike Linebacker did actually glance to his right, and when he looked, he certainly didn't think he was going to be out in the route. And when he turned and realized he was, it was like an oh, shit moment. And those suck. Those are hard. But that was nice design there by the Patriots. Gun run from six. Uh, gun run from six out, and that's a one-back power. So uh, what the, what all that means is uh, this is Sony Michelle's touchdown early. This is something they actually didn't capitalize on much later on in the day, but it's one back power. And I think a lot of the failed runs that you saw with Sony, where he's just kind of getting killed, was gun stuff. That shotgun with him standing next to it. Sometimes it's draw action, which is just handing off to the side when he slides step to his side and then shoots downhill. Their draws are supposed to make you think for a stride or two out of your pass rush pass and then transition and realize it's runs, inviting you upfield to get downfield. And that stuff didn't work with Sony. The direct run from gun or either the swap stuff where you start one side and they hand it to him from shotgun and he's supposed to run across to the other. That stuff ended up being a little too lateral for me. I think I tweeted something about that as well during the game about a lot of the side-to-side stuff. Sony, to me, is much better as it can be two-back runs, but he can be a single back as well and do zone reads, um, which is quarterback under center. He's back at six yards. It's just single back. Maybe you got a tight end extent or, you know, to the side and you're running out to the edge. He's really good at those kind of runs because of his patience, his block reading and things like that. He's not a very good gun runner. I mean, we can kind of say that. He's he's not terrible. He's done it right a handful of times, we can see. But if you look at his best stuff, it's it's definitely traditional one-back, two-back stuff. And that doesn't mean you can't get one-back, one two-back passes out of that because there's regular play action and regular offense. But he there is some definite separation between himself and then Rex and James. Rex and James, as gun runners, much more efficient, better, because I think they're better stop-start guys, and that's really important from gun running. you got to be able to get going quickly and get stopped quickly and really explode out of it. Sony's more of a let-it-develop. His patience is really, really good. He sets up blocks really well. He runs powerfully. He's a more of a see-the-puzzle runner. Uh, he's less of a chaos runner, if that makes any sense. And People don't want to say that means he sucks or that he's not good or bust and all that stuff. I think it's stupid. I just think that what you have to categorize is the kinds of stuff he's good in. And, uh, yeah, some guys have – yeah, all guys have strengths. All guys have stuff that they're a little better at than others. And I think we kind of got a good picture here of what Sony can do. Uh, I do think it's a good idea to get Sony out in the flats and, and try to get him into the pattern a little more, target him every once in a while to help break up the tendencies a little bit. But – um, you know, there were a couple plays earlier where they used him really well. Of course, touchdown. Good job there. Power play. You know, it's, he is the single back, and there's a guard pulling from the backside, leading this thing through, and he does a great job of reading blocks. He times it well and explodes later into the play when you need to. Um, good at that. But there wasn't a lot of other big stuff from him on the day. Uh, not his best day. Gaskowski misses the extra point. If you want to go do kicker, uh, you know, kicker, kicker radio this isn't it so he ends up kicking making all the rest of his kicks on the day so sucks he missed that first one I knew that's set off the hot take fireworks but then he makes a field goal later than all the extra points on the day a couple field goals didn't he I believe whatever I don't even know but point is it was not an issue the rest of the day in a game where they're putting up 30 so happened early so that I think that got got the uh lit the fires but you know it's not an issue so if you know for some reason this guy's if Meat starts missing lots of kicks, okay. Close games, missing kicks, different question. Now, you know, it's just a slump that he missed a bad one off early. I think the what well, this portion's interesting that he did miss it right because it's been hooks on the other stuff. So pushed it right, but then yeah, look at the rest of his kicks, fixed them. So I don't want to do kicker radio. If you want to 
do that, go talk somewhere else. So anyway, I'm going to listen somewhere else. Um, but the Pats defense here is next up. Pressure packages by New England is what I really highlighted in this particular series. This is, what, this is something, if you, you didn't happen to catch it on my Twitter feed, please go back and check that out. I put in one of these ones where, hey, you um, – who knows if it's Mayo or it's probably Bill, but it's it's Bill's packages. But they're actually bringing more blockers, or they're actually bringing more rushers and blockers. That's what real blitzing means. So you often hear this in the NFL and in a lot of stuff for the people with blogs and 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 the postings and people that study film. It's that's not bad that they do that. I I I read a lot of it too, and a lot of it's good. But I think there is one sort of amateur misunderstanding about uh, about what blitzing is and the whole sort of philosophy behind it and why you do things like that. And this was uh, this was a really great game example of of overloads and the whole notion of blitzing is bringing more than they have. And if you end up air quote blitzing by bringing a fifth or even a sixth, if they're seven man protect. You don't have an overload, so you can call it whatever the hell you want to call it. But the whole idea is to get them in a situation where you're bringing more than they're protecting with. I mean, obviously. So the Patriots were bringing six, and they were getting five-man protection because the back bell is out, and the tight end was out, Ryan Griffith out. So if they're out into the pattern, you only have five left. And in, the, in those instances where the Patriots would bring the six, you're gambling because someone's going to – should be free in a hot area low. Uh, but if – Falk doesn't find him quickly, he's getting sacked. And he didn't find him quickly on several instances. There's just enough confusion in the low areas, coverage-wise, of who's got who. Uh, it, it really fleshes itself out further down the field, but you need to get to that third or fourth, sec- fourth second to find that. The quarterback uh, has to be able to immediately uh, be able to acknowledge where that hot's going to be, where the hole is, and whatever kind of coverage they're going to adapt as the six flush down the, down sort of the toilet there of the pocket. So they come, and he's not quite sure, and it's that hold and look to further in the progression thing that you just can't do. And uh, Jamie Collins gets a big sack. So really big credit, big giant thumbs up to the scheme really there. Uh, nervous dude, little curious as to why they wouldn't at least give him six-man protection. I mean, and it's no knock on – Luke Falk. I mean, he's brand new to this stuff, and he's uh, they're a little depleted on you know in his offense, and he's facing one of the hottest defenses in football. So, not a great combination. Not a knock on him necessarily, but just a really gutsy and and I think really well scripted kind of sequence of plays here by the Patriots. They were willing to go after him. They also blitzed runs. You know, they they sent overloads versus runs with the idea that they overload a side. You know, it's like we can kind of down and distance guess on you, and we're just going to send them. In the event that we're wrong, well, it just converts into a pass rush, and we've got more there, and you won't be able to figure out what we're doing until three or four seconds in, and the ball should be sacked before then. So that was a general philosophy. You can't do that every week. You do that against a, real, a more experienced quarterback, and they're checking out of it, or they're, they're quickly hitting a slant, or they're you know checking to some sort of out. You know, if you bring six, and he already knows in his head, I've only got five. They have an internal clock that's going to tick quicker than the young guys. But that's not the case in this particular game. So it's a it's a little disrespectful, but you got to disrespect the young guy because you you're just kind of assuming until you've seen otherwise that he's not going to be able to handle them. They were right in this case. Now the Patriots' offense are back on the field. Gordon was the backside ISO, and what does that mean? Three by ones, three receivers one side, one to the back side. Of it. Uh, so three, ver- three on one side, one on the other. And Gordon was the one. And uh, Antonio Brown was the one 
in several of the situations in Miami. So there's your sort of answer to your question of, hey, okay, Brown's gone. How do they switch quickly? Uh, Jules can be an ISO. He's done that as, as the one with three other guys sort of making the pact at the top. In this particular instance, it was Gordon ISOed, and he got a slant early from that. So backside of ISO, give it to Josh Gordon or give it to old Antonio Brown. Not much difference. Yeah, good slant, big, big, exciting, athletic uh, guy and, and Josh Gordon, and you know he can compete. So I don't think the overall function of that particular play ran exactly the same as in Miami and getting maybe even a different coverage against it. Still pretty effective with Gordon in that spot as opposed to Brown. So again, I don't see much major change there other than just you know having Brown is one other high-level body in the group. Now you're down one high-level body, but uh, uh, those plays function essentially still the same because you got a guy that can win an ISO one way or the other. You actually still have another who could win an ISO. Eh, shoot, maybe even another if I want to put Philip there as well. So that was kind of their little tweak in the with the change that they had to do late week. Edelman, his in and out thing. I don't even know what the hell they call this. I mean, there, well, I, I, I have a list of things where when I played at other places, we called it one thing. The Patriots have a couple different names for it. But basically, it's a little like the uh, – it's a little like the old uh, Seattle touchdown that Edelman had towards the end of the game where he's extended out wide. He just It's like a yo-yo. You're basically taking the route down as far as you can, pressing it in the linebacker level, and then just pulling that string and heading back out to the far deep pylon. Um, they did this uh, not... Uh, they did this out in the field, and that little motion helped get uh, Dorsett his big deep over touchdown. So the reason I bring this out, we know that Edelman scores on that as a touchdown at another point in the game, but they ran that out on the field where Dorsett and Edelman were opposite one another, and Edelman run that ran that same little route. He pulls, he's starting deep, and he's start, starting as an outside extended receiver, runs this thing down to the middle, pulls it out to the outside. And as he's going to the outside, there's a deep thirds player or half player. Again, I, you know, I may be screwing up coverage stuff because it's cut off, but there was a deep zone player in that deep portion uh, that you could tell reacted down to Julian, who was uh, swinging out to the outside from that little angle route, reversed angle, whatever. But I know this is hard, folks, without without uh, being able to visualize it. But the point of it is, see Julian outside, see him run to the inside, the middle of the field, and then rip right out to the outside. He did that, and the, the, the deep corner was his own player, came down on Julian. And when he came down on him, Philip Dorsett's running a deep over behind him, and that's where Tom fit it in. It was Julian Edelman. Uh, it was the lure of that guy's route and the concern for getting him covered up after he'd already caught a couple more leaving Dorsett wide open. So Dorsett's made a lot of awesome tight catch, big-time balls. This one was more uh, their reaction to another player helped free him up, and he got a giant play. And, you know, he's fast, and he runs around, and he catches everything you send to him. He even catches incompletions, folks. So <laughs> big play there by him, third touchdown of the year for uh, Philip Dorsett. He continues to roll on. So Pat's defense is out on the field next. Uh, you know, I'm not going to – obviously – consistent theme here throughout this. We want to get through this entire thing here in the next 10 minutes. Um, but I wanted to highlight sort of, uh, I guess, like the keystone play of the series kind of thing. So Michael Bennett wins on and gets a sack on something called a me game. A me game is uh, basically the, there's a two-man rush game where a defensive end works with a defensive tackle in a sub situation, nickel, four-man line stuff. Uh, so to the left of center, you have a defensive end, you have a defensive tackle. Bennett's playing the, the tackle part. 
I believe the end was Van Noy. Hope I have that right. But anyway, uh, Bennett has to hit the gap between the t- the guard and tackle, and as he plows up through that gap. Uh, Van Noy on the outside is taking a couple steps up the field to try to draw the tackles block, and then he comes zooming around underneath uh, Bennett. So Bennett is really the fodder here. He's supposed to cannon fodder. He's supposed to go in and kind of take up the block, and usually on the me game, the guy that's spinning around back behind it, Van Noy, comes free. It's sort of like, you know, the the guy that kind of gets thrown to the wolves in, into the gap, he's going to get banged on and maybe get, you know, sort of the, he's going to get crunched a little bit by the block and the guy that comes free is the me game. You know, I, I was the guy who got to do the me games casually. And I always tell you guys, full disclosure, I was a terrible pass rusher, but those are games that would work for us in preseason a lot that didn't work necessarily in the regular season, but for me personally, but for other guys, they, they hit on those a lot. So the me game's a fun one for ends because you get a, you stretch it up the field. That guy thinks you're, re, you're rushing outside, but then you bend it around back onto the guy. If you've got a good penetrator, they work really, really well. Richard Seymour was an awesome guy to work with. If re, Richard was the, the the guy hitting the scene, you run, you run into me games with Richard, they're great because Richard, you know, the guy that's the fodder is actually going to end up being the one that comes free. Bennett does in this example. He hits the gap, hits it so well, presses it so well that even as Van Noy's coming around free, uh, Bennett then kind of releases once the two of them are saying, oh, who's getting the, the rap guy? So that was cool. It's good to see. Bennett's good at running games. He's not just an end. He's really kind of playing over and, and being disruptive from the inside as well. But offense, uh, again, for Pat's now back on the field. Um, this was without offensive series. They kind of just walked down. A lot of free plays. Edelman, easy completions. Myers, easy completions. Uh, good to see Jacoby Myers out there being productive. Again, he's your new fourth, and uh, he looked really good. Several big plays, you know, for a fourth receiver. That's, that's kind of what you're looking for. A few different conversions. I think it was two conversions by him. Uh, deep overs, uh, which is his go-to route concept we've talked a lot about with that guy. Uh, but I don't even know if it's a deep over. It was more just like he was from the – middle of the field and then bends it over the top. But the point is he's, he's hitting these kind of uh, deep digs, but that sometimes head to the sideline kind of thing, deep out, but that starts from inside. So he's doing a little, you know, you just kind of, you get him into that 15 to 18 yard range downfield and start him cutting towards sidelines or cutting back towards the middle of the field. That's where you find Jacoby Myers and he's been catching virtually everything you send there as well. So doing a nice job. So uh, good to see him getting involved. Um, Edelman on the ISO, I call it like a reverse bow route. Like a bow route is, you know, you're lying in the seam and you kind of stretch to the outside, but then you return back to the seam. So you wind it outside and then return back and bow. It's a, you know, like the angle of a bow, like a bow and arrow. Uh, it, uh, here Edelman's doing kind of the opposite of that. He's not bowing out and then returning to a seam. He's starting outside. He's pushing it down inside and he turns and sort of bows right back out to the far and deep pylon. It was a little bit like the old uh, Seattle touchdown, you know, the Super Bowl against Seattle down there in Phoenix touchdown. So uh, we haven't seen him do a lot of that, but uh, he, it was a reminder that, yeah, isolate Jules, he's he's a winner, and he got it done. So good for him. Um, and this is obviously all pre, pre-injury before he gets banged up with the, the reported chest injury, but that I'm guessing ribs, I guess, is probably what that is. But I uh, thought I'd read some Twitter reports or whatever that had said he uh, – Tests were negative, so we're not talking broken bones here or anything major internal, hopefully. So hopefully this is a whole lot of pain that he has to deal with, but that isn't a major injury. Not hoping pain upon him, but you know what I mean. So anyway, moving on here, Pat's defense is on the field. Um, McCourty, this is the interception. This kind of just looked like a bust with either wide receiver or QB, some sort of mix-up. Receiver's running up sort of the seam area and just kind of starts to break it out, and uh, Falk airmails it 
McCourty's essentially catching a punt there. You know, it wasn't some. And then surprisingly enough, as much as the pressure had been getting to Falk, this is a three-man rush. There actually was not on that particular play. So maybe it's seeing ghosts, but I thought it was more just about a miscommunication on the route. And, you know, the dam just starts to open against these guys at that point. Patso's back on the field here in a little bit. Burkhead, uh, really effective series for him. He looks quicker. Uh, I mentioned this earlier. I, I noted here that he's a much better gun runner than Michelle. Not a better traditional. It's not, but it's the gun running stuff that I really like Burkhead in that role. Um, and uh, it's just because of his stop start. He just has kind of a little like little rocket booster thing that gets him going those first couple strides, and he really runs with urgency early. It's a different style. If you're going to gun run, I think he's a much better guy at it, and he's been very effective, and I think that showed there. I mean, again, it's not getting 15, 20 carries and that kind of stuff, but it was the occasional first down here, there, or whenever, and uh, he was good for that on this particular day. Filled in really well with James being gone, and it was a good place to send those touches. Um, Gordon has the sick out and up. We all know this is the big, giant catch, that that final touchdown drive. Uh, he runs just a little out and up, you know, sort of a wheel, mini wheel. It's a really tight wheel if it's a wheel. But the point is, he goes out. No one really goes with him because it's a, it's a zone coverage. It's not like a man-man kind of thing where as he runs the out route and then wheels it upfield, someone gets fooled. Really wasn't that. There was a, a zone corner over the top of it who really just didn't respect that that Gordon was going to run up that sideline and still make the catch. He was trying to halfway it a little bit with some underneath stuff that was going on and uh, really should have overcommitted and stayed on it and tried to high point it and beat Josh because if you're even off a stride, man, when that guy elevates and we saw how athletic he is and not that we hadn't seen that many times before, but really great, really great throw, really great, great catch there down the end. And um, let's see, this is the flip play to Rex. So flip plays, uh, folks, yeah, you may have heard of this one, but flip plays are where Tom opens one direction, then turns and flips it in the other. So it's meant to make everyone, ever, literally all blocking, every field generally goes in one direction. The quarterback even opens that direction. So it's really meant to make the end of the line guy uh, away from the play, step with the quarterback. It's meant to make him go a couple strides. Oh, everything's going the other direction. And him not to see from his peripheral vision the back going like lightning, you know, just winning those two strides. It's a two-stride competition. Can the end, the end follow the quarterback's two strides in the other direction while Rex takes his two in the other direction? Then you're out leveraged and it's just a race to the pylon. Work for them, good play, 30 to nothing. Now, from that point, clearly not clean. Bad fourth quarter, you know, just kind of an ugly fourth quarter, kind of a when can we get the hell out of here kind of fourth quarter. Obviously, it jacked up the gambling portion of that for out there for you folks that are interested in that part because you get the muff punt and in fairness to Gunner uh Oshesky, he had some ballsy punt returns today I mean that guy looks like he shot out of a cannon but he also takes some master licks he is fearless love that part of him I think on the one on this you know just rewinding a handful of times and kind of trusting what I saw that time without seeing a tenth time but it looked to me a little bit like Gunner glanced up, and I don't recall the sequence if one of these big, huge hits he had taken had maybe just been the, se the series before. But it's not unreasonable for a guy that takes a good, good pop on one of these, you know, sort of lightning, lightning round punt returns that the very next one, you know, if it's a close call, if they're bearing down on you and you just glance up slightly and the ball takes a little different wiggle as it, as it sort of comes down to earth there. You know, you take your eyes off for just a second. But that's why pump return is such a hard job, folks. I'd never, I had to do it in high school 
uh, don't think I was particularly good at it. <laughs> and uh, that job was lost by me by the time I got to college. But uh, And then you start growing and become huge, and no one's letting you return anything. But uh, the point of that is it's a deaf gig. Um, he was pretty fearless, looked pretty amazing, and as many punts as that kid had to field on the day. But, boy, he did blow it late. And, uh, you know, I'm sure he'll learn from it. He did the, he did the right tact at going to the podium and say, man, that can never happen again. I hope they count on me, something to that effect. And I'd like to hear it from that from from him in that way it's a great attitude to have um you know gamblers gambles gamblers will be mad at you gunner but uh, the team uh i think they can go back to be relying upon you very very much as much as anything it's a learning uh situation that maybe in those spots where you're getting them you know inside of five yards and you maybe don't feel those you know maybe don't feel those because of the distraction and in the event that you do especially in a 30-0 lead maybe don't Maybe, maybe uh, you want to impress the staff. You want to impress, you know, the world that I'm here and I'm about to make an impact. But in a 30 nothing game, you become a little more leery of game situation. You say, now's not the time to take a chance. Or, or what happens is a lot of people are going to have a bad beat. Not that that should be in your head, but the point of it is up 30. Preserve what you got going on, and it's not a great risk-taking time. Um, and that's kind of it. Obviously, you know that there's a pick six that we referenced earlier, and then Stuff just kind of got ugly and finished out. But that's sort of your big takeaways of the game, sort of the big, big stuff. And I think from storyline stuff, as we head into the next week, we're all going to be very interested in how this fleshes out injury-wise. We know that Josh Gordon was having his fingers worked on there, missed a series, had a couple hard falls. Could be a week where Josh shows up on an injury report and they, you know, maintenance, whatever it is he's dealing with now. But tough guy, you know, took the knocks and then went back out and was doing post-game interviews and just seemed gracious and happy to be there. And, He's the right guy for the job, other than other dudes. So glad Josh is there. Glad he made it through. A couple gutsy big-time catches. Another one of those was late over-the-middle catch that he had where, uh, you know, real traffic ball up high. Tom sends it up there to him. He high points it, comes down with it hard on the back and back of the head hitting. And it bounced up out of that one, too. So tough kid, doing great with stuff. Um, I think this team, and I know his teammates are happy to have him. So, uh, Josh, though, will be one to monitor. Obviously, Jules will be one to monitor. So, it's it's possible they're going through a practice week with both those guys taking very limited reps and not knowing what they've got going into the game. In that instance, you know, Philip Dorsett, who, you know, I'm the president of that fan club, uh, he's, he's doing great things, but, you know, sliding him up into the one spot. I don't even know what that means. I shouldn't even – I shouldn't present it that way to you folks, uh, especially if you don't have a football bright. There's no depth chart. We're not talking about one. We're talking about X versus Z versus S, you know, the slots, the positions on the field. Um, I I don't know if his position would change just because those guys were gone. Clearly, Gunner has to come on the field and play slot stuff, and he got a handful of reps towards the end of the game, and maybe they, with work, they feel like they can work him in a little better. Uh, with practice work. Uh, but Jacoby Myers is going to have to step up. I mean, there's a good chance you're moving into the third spot if if either, if if you can presume any time away from either Josh or Julian, at least from just the practice week. So got to be ready to go, and that's why you're on the roster. This is what the NFL is all about. Brady did a good job of summing that up. Said, hey, man, this is the NFL. You're going to get banged around. This time of year sucks. And uh, this is really when you have to push through. A lot of people are going to be playing with something, and we, there's a lot of pa- Patriots out there dealing so, you know, hopefully they get Devlin back, but you don't want to rush back next with a guy that's job is really that bang and stuff with a neck. So who knows? I'm not putting a, a clock on uh, Devlin. If, if I would rather he doesn't rush that back. I'd love to see the two back runnings or running stuff return, but I, I certainly don't want to see him uh, 
have something that ends up being a recurring thing throughout the year. You'd rather let him get healthy. Maybe you just like to see Jakob Johnson in the meantime get a little more faith from the staff and let him try some of the two-back runs because he did some really good stuff as a lead blocker in preseason. Could be a nice uh, nice uh, little bridge here until Devlin's able to make it back. But that portion of the backfield resolves itself. James returns, as you expect. So even in the event that it's, you know, maybe you're not quite on 100% with either Julian or, or Josh, it'll be nice to have another high-target guy in the passing game, albeit from a back return in James. So, um, you know, troops returning for the big game going to Buffalo. I think that'll make it fun. But hopefully you guys enjoyed this and picked up a nugget or 10. That's really kind of the idea of this show. You watch it like I watch it. I see a lot of you on Twitter. Uh, we try to interact as much as we can there in a snarky and smart-ass, not dumb-ass way that we can. But uh, I enjoy it. I have fun with it, and I hope you understand the spirit it's in and when I'm on online having a good time with that stuff. But uh, after seeing it live and seeing it with nude eyes like you guys, I will have to go back and, and check it again and always find out some of the more intricacies that I miss live. So keep checking out my Twitter there at Chatham58. I throw up a handful of videos as I come across them when I'm going through my own study work. So check those out, and as always, keep checking out Nick and Jeff's stuff on The the Athletic and look for mine later in the week. Um, I didn't do a big Danny Shelton breakdown in this show, and I'll, I'll save you guys from that, but that's what this week's column was about. If you missed it, go check it back out because I was eyeballing him early, and he did a nice job as I expected him to, and the bell, the bell portion of the game was virtually eliminated. Not big day on the ground for him, and it uh, doesn't mean that he's not a tremendous back. He is, but... There were a lot of Patriot defenders in the backfield. You'll love to see that historic defense going on in Foxborough as well as a road show. That's your Razor Show. I'm Matt Chatham. Take care now, folks. Thanks for tuning in.